please turn to Haggai chapter 1. Uh, if you're not familiar with where that is, go to Matthew and turn a couple books to the left is the easiest way to find it. Uh, it was funny, this week I was doing some grocery shopping, which is about the only kind of shopping I like. I don't like clothes shopping, but when it comes to food, I will go shopping. Because I love to eat. I don't care how I look, but I love to eat. So we're out there shopping, and I noticed there's already Christmas trees on the end caps at the stores. I was thinking, it's September still. And then I started getting scared because I remembered Christmas is coming. And I remember all the previous Christmases and what that means for me as an adult now. See, when we were kids, Christmas was completely different. It was one of my favorite times of the year. Because you're sitting there as a kid and your perspective of Christmas as a child is it takes forever to get there. You're waiting all year. Even when you're on Christmas break from school, it's just two weeks, you're a week away from it. But the days just stand still. It can never get there. And you're waiting with anticipation. Remember how much fun it was to set up the tree and decorate it, to put up the lights? Man, that was fun as a kid. As a kid. <laughs> and then remember the night before Christmas and, and you can't sleep because you have this nervous excitement and you're just waiting for five o'clock and you run in and you jump up and down on your parents' bed and you drag them out and you open all these incredible gifts that are under the tree. And then you spend the rest of your day just enjoying these things that your parents and relatives have given you. Well, now that I've become an adult... I see Christmas a little bit differently. Christmas is always here. It doesn't take forever to get here. It's never not Christmas. Christmas stuff is always for sale. And I always, I'm the guy that finds myself the weekend before Christmas out doing my shopping at the mall. And when it's like going to Disney World, you have to get tickets and you wait in line for four hours to do anything and then trying to check out. And people are filled with the Christmas spirit. <laughs> and, and then I remember going back and trying to set up the decorations and all those real pine trees you buy because you want to be a man and how they have little kitty sharp teeth needles on those things and you're getting scraped up and poked with them. You're trying to put up the lights. They're all just one big tangled mess and none of the lights work and you're thinking words in your head that might cost you your salvation as you're doing all of this. And then it's, it's Christmas Eve and so your kids finally go to bed and then you're up wrapping gifts until 3 a.m. At 5 a.m. your kids come in and use your back like a trampoline jumping up and down on it. And then you go out there, you're tired, but they're out there and in three seconds they open every gift that took you a whole year to get for them. And then you don't see them the rest of the day because they're playing with their gifts. And it's like, hey, what, is, what a second, what about, what about daddy? I got you that. Don't you want to spend some time with me? Don't you want to say thank you or something like that? I, I got this for you because I love you, but you don't even care about me anymore. You just have your little leap pad, and I just hear, I'm Jake the Pirate, and they're playing with that stuff. Say, like, what about Daddy? What about my love? I got that for you because I love you, and now you're just spending all of your time with that. You're distracted by the gift I gave you, so you've completely forgotten about the giver of the gift and how much I love you. Now, Israel finds himself in the same kind of a situation in Haggai chapter 1. So it picks up. As God is addressing them, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 15, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, you know it's important when it says that, These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what brings forth of man and beast, and on all their labor. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shilatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, and the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So what's happened is last week we looked at Nehemiah and how he was troubled by the report that in Jerusalem, his hometown, the wall had been broken down, the gates burned, and the temple lies in ruins. It says that he's brokenhearted about that. He's weeping, he's crying, and he fasts and he prays, and he says, God, will you give me an opportunity to do something about this? And God moves on the heart of the king, and the king sends him back to Jerusalem to rebuild it with a group of people. He gives them provision, safety, uh, permission to use the king's forest and the lumber in that to rebuild the city. And so they go back, and they get to work. And they're committed to it. They start building the wall. And then they start building uh, some of the other things in the city. But what happens is they begin to become distracted. Because as the city gets better and better, they become more and more prosperous. They start to enjoy all of the blessings that God is pouring out on them. But in doing so, their eye and their attention goes away from the God who provided for them. It goes away from the mission that they've been called to by God. And instead, they just start working on building their own homes. They're concerned about themselves, and they've completely lost sight of what it was that they first set out to do. And so God speaks to them through the prophet Haggai, and he says, consider your ways. What that means is evaluate your life. What are you living for? What, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? What is it that you're dreaming about? What is it that you're spending your time and your resources on? What are your gifts and your skills and talents being invested into? What is it that your life is all about? Is it about me or is it about you? Is it about fulfilling the things that I've called you to and miraculously provided for you? Or is it about pursuing your own desires for your life? Is it about using the blessings that I have given you to build the house of the Lord? Or are you taking those blessings and using them all for yourself? And instead of seeing my house rebuilt, are you just using everything that I've given you to try to continue to get more and more blessing for yourself? Now, it's important to think about this. Why, why is God saying this to them? Why is he so concerned about it? And it's really because they have traded away the holy calling and God's plans and purposes on their lives for something that was a cheap imitation. 
See, God revealed himself to the nation of Israel for a purpose. It starts out that God has this overarching plan that we can see now, but he wanted to bring redemption and restoration to the entire earth. He wanted to bring forgiveness of sins to all people in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And so we see that God starts out through one man. He appears to Abraham, reveals himself to Abraham. And then through Abraham, there's a family that's following God. And then from that one family, it turns into a nation that is following God. And then from that one nation, that was a group of uh, priests, it was supposed to go on then to the rest of the world. God called them to be a nation of priests, people who mediate between God and man, people who teach every nation of what it means to follow God and to live according to his plans and purposes in their lives and to have his blessing on them. But instead, they become distracted by it. Instead of using their lives to bring glory to God and to be those who change the world, they're just consumed with their own desires for pleasure, for wealth, for making themselves famous. These are the things that they've been pursuing. And God speaks to them in response to that, and he says, I'm going to take away the blessings that I've given you. Now, why does God do that? It's not because he's mean or he's vengeful or saying, well, I'm going to show you. You turn away from my path, I'm going to stick it to you. What he's doing is he's doing this as a form of a course correction for them. You know, when my kids sit in there playing with that leap pad and Jake the pirate, and they don't want to play with daddy anymore, and they completely lose track of relationship with family when he's being a jerk to his sister, you know what I take away? The leap pad. Not because I want to be a jerk to him, because I want to correct the course that he's on. I want to get him back on track. I want to recognize the blessing that he has, but to never love the blessing that I've given him more than he loves his family. And God's doing the same thing. He says, if you guys are going to put your attention and your focus all on the blessings that I've given to you, then I'm going to take that away from you so that you will come back to me and to what's really important in life, to the holy calling that you have on yourselves as a people. Because what happens is you can get to the point of where God's removed his blessing from you and you'll be working hard for something, but you never have enough. You'll be you know, trying to pursue in your career, but you never find the fulfillment in that. You'll be even trying to build something good like your own family, but it just seems like it's falling apart. You can put your time and energy into a million different things, but you just never have enough because that blessing of God has been removed from you. You can be working hard, serving in the church even, but if you have forsaken that relationship with God first and foremost and the family of God that we've been made a part of, then you will never have the peace of God on your life. You will work, you will never have enough. You won't have the peace and the joy that God came to give all of us. And so in response to this, Israel obeys the word of the Lord. And it says that they get to work on rebuilding his house. They go back to what it was that they were called to do. And this is hard work. It says they have to go up into the mountains and chop down trees and bring it back down. But they're being obedient to the thing that God has called them to. And it says that as they do that, God speaks to them again and he says, I am with you. And the reason this is so important is because when you're following God's plans for your life, when you're doing the thing that he's called you to do, it can seem impossible. It can seem like there is no way you can do this. You feel completely overwhelmed. It's beyond your ability. And that's why God says, look, this might be bigger than you. This might be beyond what you can afford or what you have the skills and abilities to do or the team around you to do, but I'm with you. You can do the impossible things because the God who nothing is impossible for is the one who resides inside of you. I am with you in this. 
And then on the other side of it, sometimes you might be a part of fulfilling God's calling on your life, and you feel like what you're doing is insignificant. You know, there's two different people in building the temple. One of them is the foreman. They have all the responsibility. They're well-known. We look at that and say, wow, that's a great job. Then you got the guy that's sweeping the floor. And he would feel like, well, I'm not doing much. What a waste of my time. I want to be like the foreman. I want to do something that's significant. Well, when God's with you, the insignificant things take on significance. There's nothing that you do that's insignificant in the kingdom of God. The value of what you do isn't determined by what anybody else thinks about it. The value of it is determined by God. And if he's called you to do that, then you know what? That's a pretty significant thing. And he is there with you in the midst of it. And as they're doing this, as they're obeying the Lord and building the house, it says that God stirred up their hearts. A lot of times you'll start following God's calling on your life and it might not feel like this is the dream that I always had. I'm so happy I'm doing this. I remember one of the first jobs that I had in a kingdom kind of a mindset was I cleaned toilets at a Christian campground. It was one of the best jobs I've ever had. It wasn't the work that was so fun. But I recognize that, look, a a clean toilet might not seem like a world-changing thing, but no kid's going to, well, maybe a kid will, but no mom's going to drop their kid off at a camp where the toilets are disgusting. I was part of creating an environment where people can come and receive something from the Lord. I might not have been the one that was preaching to them. I might not have been leading worship or doing anything like that. I'm not even doing the administrative end of it. But I was doing something significant in the kingdom of God just by providing a service for people and creating a place where people could come and have an encounter with God. And that's what the temple was all about. It was that the kingdom of priests were creating a place on the earth where they could come and encounter the power and the presence of God. And that's what we do every Sunday as a church. We create a place where people encounter the power of God. And as they continue to build the temple, they get done with it, and they step back, and they begin to inspect their work. And then Haggai once again says this to the people after they're done with the temple. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing to your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The later glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So what's happened is there are some people who 70 years ago, when the temple was destroyed, they went into exile. They came back now. They're probably in their 80s and even 90s, some of them. And when they get done creating the temple, they look at it and they begin to weep because they remember how glorious the old temple was. 
the old temple on the inside, it was coated with gold. It was plated gold over everything. There was silver, all of the instruments, the decorations, and they were the finest things that you could get in the entire world. The temple was incredible to behold, the one that Solomon built. It was beautiful. But now when they rebuild it as people who don't have access to all these things, it's just a plain old building to them. And so they consider it. The Lord says, isn't it as nothing to your eyes? It's not encouraging after you just did all that work. But God speaks to them and he says, the later glory of the temple is going to be even more than it was before. You see, God's telling to them, the silver and the gold are mine already. That's not what I want. I created it. I don't need more silver and gold. I can make more if I want to. That's not what my heart's after. Instead of filling the temple with silver and gold, I'm going to fill it with the treasures of the nations. Now, not the silver and gold of the nations, the treasures of the nations. And what are these treasures? It's the people. The people. It's what God has always had his heart set upon. It's what his affection has been on. It's why we saw Jesus come down on the cross to forgive all of our sins and redeem us and restore us so that we could enter into the family of God. What I was looking forward to was the time when Jesus would come and because of his death, burial, and resurrection, people from all nations would be able to come into the house of God. People would be able to come into the place where they encounter the life-changing power and presence of Jesus. That's what it's looking forward to. That's what we see happen in Jesus. He opened the doors for all to come in. And this is how we fit into that story too. Is our life is a lot like what we see happening in Haggai. We were a people who were slaves. We might not have been slaves to the Babylonians or the Persians, but we were slaves to sin. And Jesus miraculously freed us. Just like they were led out of uh, Persia and back into the promised land. Jesus has come and he's freed us from sin and the bondage of sin. He's given us new life, new purposes, new desires. There's a new way for us to live. And now he's called us to create a place where people can have that same kind of an encounter with God. And what we see happening now more and more every day is the treasures of all the nations are coming into the family of God. It's coming into the house of God. We're part of that. Not many of us here are Jewish. We're scattered from all over the nations. We are a people who have been gathered from every continent. And we've been made family. We're sons, we're daughters, and we are a part of the household of Jesus. And so this is what it means for us today. It's time to build the house. You know why we get up early every Sunday morning and we run cables and we set up lights and it's really tiring, and sometimes it's cold out in the winter, and it's hot out in the summer. But we get here, and we make coffee, and we clean bathrooms, and we sweep out the cement outside of the place. We put up signs and everything else, because what we're doing is we're creating a place where people can encounter God. That's what we do. And it's so badly needed in our city. In our city, less than 5% of the people attend a church. That means there are over 300,000 people in Washtenaw County that aren't a part of any sort of a church. People who are living apart from the household of God. People who Jesus laid down his life for because he loves them so much. And Jesus has given us the task of building his house. The last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he was ascended into heaven was he said, I want you to go into all the nations 
to make disciples. And that's what we do. Every Sunday morning, we're creating a place where disciples are made. We're saying there are other desires that we have, but we're putting our resources, our talents, our treasures, our time, everything into building a place where people can have that life-changing encounter with Jesus. And you know what? It's been happening. Two years ago, when we were getting ready to launch, we had 15 people gathering in my living room. That's not a lot of people. But they were people who were committed. They had vision for what it was that God had called them to do, and they were willing to make sacrifices to see Jesus made famous, to create an environment where people could have an encounter with God. And now two years later, last week, we had 140 people here, from 15 to 140 people in two years. People whose lives have been transformed, marriages that were headed for divorce that have been reconciled. We've seen the sick healed. We've seen people who are hopeless receive hope, people that have awoken to ministry callings inside of their life. We've seen friends and neighbors come in and receive Jesus. Entire families just set free and changed in a moment because we decided that we were going to create a place where people could hear Jesus speak to their hearts. Now this, this week I had a, an interesting dream because this is something obvious that's a big part of what we're doing right now is we're talking about the vision for the next year that God has for us. And last week we were talking a lot about going into uh, with the, prison, the prisoners, the poor, and the persecuted, and what we're going to be doing in those areas. And the plans are moving ahead, and it's great. But God spoke to me and said, well, what are you going to do with all these people? It's like, ooh, that's a good point. So I had this dream this week, and I usually don't have dreams, so I really believe this was a God thing. Because usually when I do dream, it's I wake up, my alarm clock goes off, I go to work, I go home, I go to sleep, and then my alarm clock really goes off for real. My dreams are horrible. They're boring. I live every day twice. But in this dream, we were at church, it was here, and I remember we had, it was like, it literally double the number of people showed up on one Sunday. People from every generation, people from every race and walk of life, they all showed up. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, you're bringing them in, the thing we've been praying for. God, you're so faithful. And then they all went to get the coffee and the donuts. And I was like, oh no. I was like, quick, make more coffee, get this going. And I was like, uh, volunteers, don't eat anything. This is all for our new guests. Like, oh, we gotta, we are, we're swamped, we're hit, we're overwhelmed. And I was, and I was woke up, I was like, that was weird. God, what was that all about? And he said to me, I'm bringing more people. What you saw is going to be the reality for your church. What are you going to do with these people? Are you going to be ready for them? It's like, ooh. You know, it's easy to get excited about church growth and say, I want to reach the nations, I want to reach the city, I want to see people's lives change. But if we haven't prepared the place, if we aren't ready ahead of time, then we're going to be overwhelmed when they come in and we won't be able to handle the people that God's bringing us. See, that 15 people, they served like beast of burden and they made a way for us to grow to like 75 people. And then we had more people that got involved in serving and volunteering in different areas. And then we grew to like, you know, we're getting close to 150 people now. But for us to double again, we are going to be overwhelmed. There will not be enough coffee and donuts. And so this is the point of it, is that in this next year, God is going to bring us incredible growth. I believe that. We're going to see more marriages reconciled, more people healed, more people set free from bondage and addiction, more people receive new life in Jesus. We're going to see people from every generation and every nation coming and gathering into the house of the Lord, but we need to get ready for it. We need to prepare a place, and so we need to get to the work of building the house, and this is how you can help build the house. Number one is pray. Pray that God brings the people in. 
Pray that his presence is thick and strong amongst us. Pray for wisdom for the different leaders of the different ministries that we have. Uh, pray that God would continue to bring overflow in our lives. And then number two, get involved in serving and volunteering here. Take some ownership in what's happening here. If you want to continue to see what God is doing increase, then it means that we're going to need more of you helping to build this house. Now, it's easy to look at it and say, oh man, don't talk about money, don't talk about sex, don't talk about serving. These are the three things. If you just stay away from that, we'll be all good. But really, this is the vision. If we are going to increase, it means that we need more and more people to get on board and sacrificing of their own time in order to make a place where the lost, the hurting, and the broken can receive Jesus. You know, if people just volunteered once a month, said, once a month I can get here and I can help out, and you say, well, some of these things don't seem that glamorous or significant. Well, you know what? There's nobody that looks at the children's ministry and says, those people are glamorous. But you know what they do? Those people that serve there once a month? Is they're making a place where young children can encounter God. Where they have a foundation laid in their life that then is built upon all through their lifetime. They're investing them in saying that these children are the ones that are going to change the generation. These are the children that God is sending to the nations after us. We need to invest in them. We need to teach them the Bible. We need to teach them to love worship and to pray. We need to teach them to love the house of God and to love Jesus first and foremost in their life. And these people are heroes to me. They're the ones that, and when they get to heaven, we know that Jesus said, never prohibit the little ones from coming to me. He says that to such as these belong the kingdom of God. Jesus has a special spot in his heart for children. And it means that we need to as well. If we really want to see the nations change, not just in our generation, but even more so in the next generation, we need to invest in our children. And there is nothing greater that can be done in this house. Or some people say, well, if I'm just a greeter, what does that change? Well, let me tell you, every week people are coming in here with hurt and brokenness in their life. They're coming here because they need a miracle or they feel lonely and rejected, alone. They just need to know that God loves them and that he accepts them. And that's what happens when you greet someone and they see the love and the joy of Jesus in you, it gives them hope. They encounter God when they encounter you. And we have people that come, almost every week people tell me, everybody's so friendly here. I just feel welcomed and accepted. That's what people are looking for. You will have more difference and more significance in that one greeting of someone where you just look them in the eye and smile and you demonstrate and model Jesus' love and affections and acceptance of them. That changes lives. You're that first contact that they have with God when they come through these doors. Or you say, well, I'm not really skilled in anything and I'm not friendly, so I can't be a greeter. Well, we can wind cables, we can make coffee, we can sweep floors, whatever it is. We need to prepare a place for the people that are coming in in this next year. And we don't want to be swamped by it when it happens. I don't believe Jesus will bring the increase until we're ready for it first. Uh, number two, consider your ways. What are you living for? What's the point and the purpose of your life? What are your dreams? What is your life going towards? Is it pursuing your own interests and your own desires for pursuing God's blessings for yourself? Or are you pursuing God first and foremost? Living your life for him and recognizing that he's called you to be someone who reaches others and makes disciples. And then number three, let God stir up our hearts. Now maybe you've lost that passion that you once had for seeing Jesus made famous. Maybe you've lost that passion for seeing God set people free and move miraculously in their hearts. 
What I love about that story is that God didn't first put that passion in them, and then they went out and started building. It says that they were obedient to God's call on them first, and then he put new passion inside of them. It says that he stirred up their hearts. They became people who were passionate about building the house, people who were passionate about seeing people come in and encounter the living God. But it came after obedience to them. And if you need new passion in your life for the ministry that God's called you to, then it says this in the Bible. Paul said that the will and the ability to live a life that's pleasing to God comes from the Holy Spirit. That's having an honest moment with God and saying, God, I've lost that passion for making disciples. But Holy Spirit, you're the one that can put that in me again. Holy Spirit, do a new work in my heart. Give me a heart that's broken for the things that yours is broken for. Put new motivation and desire inside of me to see your kingdom come and your will being done on earth that is in heaven. God, give me a new passion to create a place where people can encounter you so that this city can be changed. And then number four, we need to know that God is with us. God told the builders of the temple that he was in their midst. Jesus told his disciples that he would never leave them, that he would never forsake them, that he would be with them always. We aren't making disciples on our own. We aren't trying to build the house of the Lord on our own. Jesus is here with us in the midst of it. And that's why you'll be successful. It doesn't depend on you. Now, if you can't sing and you want to be on the worship team, uh, don't just trust that Jesus is going to give you an amazing voice. But if God's called you into something, you need to move forward with it. When I look at the people in our church that have incredible ministries outside of here and what they're doing, they're not qualified to do that stuff. They just moved in faith because God called them. They saw a need and they said, God, use me to fill that need. And Jesus, empowering us through the Holy Spirit, is there with us. And now nothing is impossible and nothing is insignificant. And I know that God has been with us in these last two years. And even if I look at this last year, almost 100 people made decisions to follow Jesus. We can't do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's been here with us. I've seen sick people miraculously healed. We can't do that. That's the work of God. I've seen broken hearts put back together. I've seen callings awakening inside of people. I've seen the hopeless receive hope. These are all things that we cannot do. But every week as we gather together and we create an environment where people can encounter God, he is faithful to show up. And every week, because people got together and we turned a movie theater into a church, every week because we got together and we set up some banners and some toys for some kids and changed a diaper and ate some donuts and everything else, ran some cables and lights and moved the stage, God honored that work. And lives were changed, not because of what we did, but because we created a place where God could be. Would you guys stand up with me this morning as we pray? The future of our city is at stake. I'm not saying this... Uh, you know, bringing a hyperbole to it, but it really is. There are so many lost or hurting and broken people around us, and Jesus has the ability to meet those needs. Every single one of them, his grace and his mercies are there for them. And God has sent us to them.
And that's the vision for this next year. We're going to the lost, the hurting, and the broken. And we're going to create a place where they can come in. But we need you guys to be a part of that. We need God to stir up our hearts so that we're going to say, you know what? I can comfort a child. I can make coffee. I can do really unspiritual things like that. But in the midst of it, see God do something. And this morning, if you're here with us this morning, and as we've been talking about the family of God and his love and his affections for you, and you haven't felt that, maybe God's been stirring up in your heart this morning and you want to follow his plans and his purposes for you. You want to be a part of building a place where people can come in and receive the love of God and his grace in their lives. But this morning, maybe you feel distant from him. Or maybe you're walking around with shame and condemnation and guilt because of your sins. What you need to know now is that God is here with us. That he's called you to this place this morning, I believe. And that he's speaking his love to you. You don't have to live that way anymore. Your guilt and shame and condemnation, that distance that you feel from the Father can be removed in one instant. It just takes you saying, Father, forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again and that through that my sins were forgiven, that I have new life, that I am a new creation. And this morning, I surrender myself to you. I bow my life before you and say, Jesus, come and do something new in my life reason for that is because of God's love. It changes everything. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning and you need God to do something new in your life, then will you just raise your hand with me so that I can pray for you that God does something new and miraculous in you. Say you don't feel that distance anymore, but you feel like a son or a daughter accepted in the eyes of your Father. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Church, let's pray this together. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we surrender to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Reveal your will for our lives. And send us to the lost, the hurting, and the broken. them to you. In the name of Jesus we pray.